Life by Divine with Sue DeMay fosters deep healing and profound awakenings as she guides you to hear, answer, and trust the highest calling of your heart. Your host and sacred guide is global impact visionary leader Sue DeMay, a best-selling author, international speaker, and gifted intuitive healer who challenges all of us to shift from life by default or even life by design to truly living life by divine. And now, here is Sue DeMay. Welcome to the show. It is an honor and a privilege to be in your heart once again this week and sharing my message of love and inspiration and just letting whatever message needs to come through me into your heart and into your life. And this week, I'm really, really excited because I have a very special guest. And he, it, like me, is such a beacon of light in this world. And I'm, it's an honor and a privilege to have him here today with you and me sharing the message that you need to hear. So we're going to allow whatever message needs to come through to be the message that comes in and lands straight into your heart and into your life to inspire you and empower you to live your life by divine. Today, my guest is Neil Donald Walsh. He is a modern day spiritual messenger whose words continue to touch the world in profound ways with an early interest in religion and a deeply felt connection to spirituality. Neil spent the majority of his life thriving professionally, yet searching for spiritual meaning before experiencing his now famous conversation with God. The conversations with God, the conversations with God series of books that emerged from those encounters have been translated into 37 languages and is continuing to inspire and touch people's hearts all around the globe. Today we are going to be talking about one of the 37 books that Neil has written. The Essential Path was published in June of 2019, and it will be the fuel of our divine conversation today. And I'm, again, just so honored and excited to have you here, Neil. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sue. It's lovely to be with you. Thank you. I want to jump right into this conversation, and I want to ask you, the, the, a big question. I've read your book in the last week and I loved it. I, I, I absorbed it so quickly and I loved it. It was very much in alignment with what I'm teaching and what I'm learning myself. The question I want to ask you, because a lot of people are really struggling with everything that's going on in the world today, we can look in any direction and see that there's a lot of things getting uncovered, a lot of things being revealed, um, and it looks ugly, it looks messy, it looks big, it looks challenging, it looks even daunting for a lot of people, but I know you have a different approach and a different perspective, but the question I would love to ask you is, what do you believe is the biggest problem in the world today? In, in my observation, the biggest problem in the world today is that most people in the world today do not know what the biggest problem is. And uh, I mean, even people who you would hope would know, chiefs of state, uh, the leading figures in the world's religions, uh, the captains of business and industry, uh, people who are leading social movements, 
the people who are at the helm, if you please, figuratively speaking, of the world's experience, even those people uh, do not seem to understand uh, the nature of the problem, what is the biggest problem in the world today. So at some level, I could almost understand how the average person, you know, there are almost 8 billion people on the planet today may not be aware of it, but surely those who are in the driver's seat of the, of the human experience on this planet, as I said, the world's religious leaders, our political leaders, and so forth, surely they should be more aware of the biggest problem, but they do not seem to be ju- judging by the decisions and the choices they're making, the actions that they are taking or not taking. So let me share with you then what I have come to see. Uh, we all see the outcome, the fallout uh, of the biggest problem in the world today. There's no question about that. We can we can see the impact of that problem wherever we look uh, on our planet. And the, the fallout, the impact of the biggest problem in the world today can be summarized in a single word, alienation. I am seeing a level of alienation uh, on our planet uh, the likes of which I've never seen before in my 76 years uh, of life on Earth. Uh, we've always had differences and difficulties and challenges between groups and nations and people, but I've not seen it at this level where we suddenly live in what appears to be an us-against-them society. And it's those others that are creating all the problems. At least this is our statement. So many of us, all of the uses in the world, are saying that the others, that that other group, they're the problem. Those are the people, those unwanted immigrants, those unknowing students who don't know what they're talking about, those uh, crazy-headed liberals, those, those closed-minded conservatives, you know, those angry women, those... those uh, those, those inappropriate gays, those, those, it's all those other people that are creating the problem and we're going to do something about it. We're going to make sure that they don't create these problems for us anymore. So we're, we're creating um, laws. We're undertaking interactions uh, that create more and more and more and more of us against them, us against them, us against them. So the biggest problem in the world today is the dynamic that is creating this us-against-them world. And the dynamic can also be put in one word. The dynamic, as I observe it, is a phenomena that I'm going to label separation. Our, our society, Sue, our, our civilization, uh, has come to believe that everything is separate from everything else, that the cosmology, frankly, in which we live is a cosmology of separation. It began, I'm sorry, by the way, I'm sorry to be giving you a 12 and a half minute answer to your 30 second question. Nope, by all means, you, you got the stage, go for it. Well, thank you, because I, I want to say that it, it, as I observe it, this began with our understanding or our lack of understanding of the thing that many of us call God. Um, there are, you know, statistics show us now people who are in the business of tracking public attitudes and public beliefs, excuse me. Those statistics show us that over 80%, hovering now closer to 85% of the world's people believe in some sort of higher power by whatever name they choose to call it, God, Yahweh, Brahman, Jehovah, you know, a million million names, a rose is a rose by any other name. 
But, but people who believe in a higher power, something beyond us, that number are now is approaching 85% of the world's population. But what they believe about that higher power is the key to it. Almost all of those people, not, not everyone, but a very high percentage of those people who believe in a higher power believe that this higher power is somehow or another separate from us. That is, it's over there somewhere outside of us, and we're down here, if you please, and never the two shall meet, except perhaps, as some religions would tell us, on Judgment Day, when we will come face to face with this higher power that some people call God, and then we will discover our everlasting fate. Are we going to be living up there or living down there? And, and, And so this is what I call a separation theology. It's a theology that insists that if there is a higher power, if there really is this thing called God, then it is, in fact, separate from us. It's way up there, and we're way down here. This separation theology wouldn't be so bad, Sue, if it began and ended there, but it doesn't begin and end there. It produces a separation cosmology uh, among our species. That is, a cosmological way of looking at things that says, in fact, everything is separate from everything else. The trees are separate from the ocean. The birds are separate from the fish. The people are separate from each other. Everything is separate from everything else. We live in a cosmology uh, that includes tons and tons and tons, countless separate entities, separate beings, separate life forms. A tree, of course, is a life form. So is the ocean a life form. So we, we live in a cosmology where all the life forms, including humans, are separate from each other. And you know, that wouldn't be so bad if that belief system began and ended there, but it doesn't begin and end there. It produces what I call a separation psychology. That is a psychological holding that says we are psychologically separate from every other sentient being on the planet. And you know what? We could almost live with that at some level if it began and ended there. But the problem with a separation psychology is that it inevitably produces a separation sociology. That is, small societies, we can call them groups, political parties, religions, uh, nations, states, we we tend to cluster in small groups. uh, And that, that separation sociology produces the beginnings of an us against them uh, society. We that's find like that united and divided. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the that's the dichotomy of it. And the, you know, I got to say that even that we could probably manage our way through. But the problem is that a separation sociology inevitably produces a separation pathology. That is pathological behaviors of self destruction. We are we are like guppies who eat their own young. You know, I was on the internet just just yesterday. You can't get on the internet any day anymore where you don't see news of some person killing another person, large numbers of people killing other large numbers of people because we're angry with them or we disagree with them or we're afraid they're going to take something from us or we want to hold what we have. You know, just the other day on the internet, I actually saw a story. Uh, it's just saddened my heart so much that I forgot. It was in Honduras. I think it was in Honduras where soccer fans, soccer fans had gone to a stadium and they were, they were rooting for their side of the uh, rivalry. The two teams you know, have, have had a long rivalry. And the soccer fans be- became so angry with the fans of the other team that three people died. 
It could have been 20 or 30. In this case, it was stopped after only, only three people, 19 sent to the hospital, three died because soccer fans going to a sporting event couldn't find a way to get along, even though they were rooting for the other side, couldn't find a way to get along for two and a half hours in a soccer match. I mean, please, please, what is going on here? And what is causing us to normalize such behavior? That becomes the question. So the issue is that we believe in a separation sociology, where all of us are separate from sports fans are separate from each other, political op opponents are separate from each other. And the problem is that we're not just believing in separation, we are demonizing those others who are in that other group. We're demonizing them. And that gives us the moral authority to become angry with them. And yes, even to kill them. So we're seeing people getting in automobiles and driving their trucks and their cars into crowds of other people because they're those, those people that they're driving their car into, they belong to those others, that other group. And, you know, if, and now we, we are seeing millions, in fact, I want to say billions of people in the world looking at this in dismay, but we don't seem to know what to do about it. We can put a man on the moon. We can solve the, uh, the, the heal, uh, miracle cures are being created for almost any illness, but we can't, some, we can create marvelous pieces of technology like these things here, which put the world into our hands. But with all of our genius, with all of our apparent uh, uh, ability as a species, we somehow can't find a way to stop killing each other and to end the anger and to end the alienation when the way is very obvious to us. And it comes, comes to us in the form of a four-word message from the Conversations with God material. We are all one. Mm -hmm. If we could somehow find a way to embrace the notion that we are all one, that we're one with each other, we're one with all of life, we are one in fact with the trees outside and, and, and with the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, we're one with life in every one of its manifest forms, and dare I say it, we are in fact one with the divine. That there is only one thing, all things are part of the one thing there is. If that was true, if we held the notion as a civilization that we are all one, we would never allow 653 children to die on this planet of starvation every week. I'm sorry, I didn't mean every week. I meant, I meant every day. I'm sorry, I didn't mean every day. I mean every hour. Every single hour. 653 children die on this planet of starvation while we are leaving enough food on our plates as leftovers in restaurants from Los Angeles to Paris to feed a third world village for a week. How can a civilization that claims to be civilized allow ourselves to live in the world that we've created? How is it possible, as we're sitting here talking today, Sue, at this minute, 1.5 billion people do not have access to clean water? I get to drink clean water, filtered, beautiful, clean water. 1.5 billion people, as we're sitting here talking to each other, will never have access to pure water for the entirety of their lives. 
As we sit and talk today, 1.7 billion people do not even have electricity. As we sit and talk today, 2.5 billion people, that's over a quarter of the human race, do not even have indoor plumbing. They have to relieve themselves out of doors, outside. Now, you might say, well, Neil, fair enough. It's probably true. You've got some good numbers to show us. But after all, in the end, these are just merely inconveniences. Really? Inconveniences like that are causing hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths from health problems, sanitation problems, the challenges that, that we don't even imagine would, should be affecting us if we are an advanced species. So we need to change the path that we're on. We need to take an essential path. That's why I called my latest book, The Essential Path. It's the pathway toward a reunification of the human species where enough of us are willing to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all in the same family here. Even if we don't want to believe that we're all part of God, there are some people who have a hard time with that. Wait a minute. Don't tell me that God and I are one. God's up there and I'm down here. That's blasphemy. That's sacrilege. Okay, fair enough. If that's your relief, as I said a minute ago, if that's where it begins and ends, if it stopped there, no problem. You don't want to believe that God and we are one? Fine. But can you at least acknowledge that we, all of us human beings, belong to the same family? And can we treat each other as family and not let over 650 children die every single hour of insufficient food? What's the matter with us? What is stopping us from changing the course and direction of humanity's evolution. Because right now we're not evolving anymore, we're devolving. We're acting as if we're going backward in the evolutionary process. Things were much different even 20 or 25 years ago. We wouldn't allow these kinds of things to occur. So the message that I would bring you today is that the biggest problem in the world today, our idea, our insistence on the notion that we are separate from each other, that I have nothing to do with you, you have nothing to do with me unless we have a shared objective. But even in those cases, we have to stop those others from getting in our way we gotta, because it's those others who are really creating the problem. And that's the biggest problem in the world today. And you know what? It would be so easily solvable. If only our heads of state, our presidents, our prime ministers, the people who are running things politically in the world. If only the, the chief spokespersons for our world religions, uh, the Pope, the ulama, the, the, the head rabbi, the, those who are at the top of the pyramid in our world's religious organizations. If only the captains of businesses and industry. We're talking about altogether less than 100 people. We're not talking about 10,000 people or 6 million people. Less than 100 people could change this overnight if they each got up and spoke to their constituency and said, look, we can't keep on going in this direction. We, those of us who belong to this religion, to this political party, to this group, to this nation, to this race, those of us who belong to this group, we need to set, step forward and say, we're all family. What would be the best outcome and how can we create it for all of us who live together as a collective on this planet? And I don't see anybody stepping forward. I would be so shocked, I would be so inspired if our prime ministers, if our chiefs of state, if our presidents, if our, if our religious leaders would simply step forward and say, this far and no further.
-hmm. Only when enough have had enough will we change the direction in which humanity is now headed. Well, that's what I'm seeing happening right now is, is with all of the upheaval and everything kind of in our face. And we definitely can't ignore it anymore. We can't turn, turn, our, turn our cheeks and pretend it's not happening. So it's definitely at the point where it's in our face and we need to take action. We need to step up. And what I'm feeling that that's really happening is it's actually it's a catalyst right now to bring many, many people into an, a state of action and, and taking things into their own hands. So you're saying, you know, if only, and I, and I agree, and I, I pray for, I could pray for that every single day for, for all of us to wake up and, and there's some key leaders that could change everything quicker. But what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and I kind of got this from your book as well is it may take, it may not happen that way. That would be an ideal situation. Absolutely. If they all woke up and said, okay, let's, let's do this differently. What's work, what we, we're, it's not working. We need to change things. We need to do things differently. We need to look at each other differently. We need to treat each other like family. When we, when, when leaders can do that, that would be great. However, they're not. And what I'm feeling that's happening is it's actually causing a lot more people to stand up and wake up and say, okay, if they're not going to do it, then I need to do something. Yeah, and the question is, what could speed up that process? What could one person do? And you talk about a little bit of a tipping point. If, if enough of us stand up and say, okay, I'm the one. I'm the one that's going to start within me. I'm the one that's going to stand up and speak up and speak my truth within me. I'm going to be the one to be the change. And if enough of us do that, then we'll hit a tipping point. Yeah, regardless of what the leaders do. I agree with you, but the question is, what does that look like? That is, what do we have to stand for? In in the book, I'm not really, please, uh, I hope you understand, all of you watching this, I'm not trying to sell a few more books. To be brutally gauche, we've already sold 15 million Conversations with God books, and I'm I'm not looking for 15 million and four to sell four more books. Trust me on this. But what Conversations with God book four tells us is that there are 16 key points that that we can live into because book four in the conversations with god uh, uh, oeuvre the collection of books tells us exactly what each individual person can do to shift the global reality and and there because i i ask god you know is this how it is all over the all over the cosmos are, are there oh, by the way are there intelligent beings elsewhere in the cosmos of course there are and what I was given to know is that there are species that are existing elsewhere in the universe that are far more advanced than we are. And I said, okay, then what, what's the difference? How have they survived and, and done so well? Uh, and how are they able to get along as well as they're able to get along? And how can they create such a wonderful life, which I assume is wonderful, or they wouldn't be more advanced than we are? And God said, I can give you a list. Want me to give you a list? I'll give you a list. I said, please do. So she gave me a list of 16 differences between highly evolved beings who live elsewhere in the universe and people on many people, not all people, but many people on earth who are walking around in an unawakened state. That list of 16 is not only found in book four, it's also found in the back of the essential path because I reprinted it to make sure that it couldn't be missed. So when people say to me, okay, fair enough. I hear the message. I hear the message. Each of us can play a role. What can I as an individual do I refer them to that list of 16 things that we can do to change our own behavior, 
and to and to send a new energetic into the world at large where people will then look at us and see ah there's a model see we need to create a new way to uh, evolve the human species we've been adapting uh, our species by mutation for many many years that's that's how humans have gotten this far from one generation to the next we we send uh, to the next generation through our cellular uh, uh, our cellular chemistry we are we are sending signals uh, and mutating so we mutate in such a way that we've lasted as long as we have lasted on this planet but mutation takes agonizingly long periods of time to play its effect to learn how to deal with the cold the warmth you know what to eat how to live how to get along we haven't learned that very well so but now we have a new way to impact the planet catch this folks we're talking here about imitation when imitation replaces mutation as a means of adaptation everything can change virtually overnight we see how fast human beings copycat we copy behaviors with which we agree so what we need now i mean the lyrics of a song can catch on in 3 days and suddenly it's being uh, it's gone viral as they say and it's suddenly that those lyrics are being heard all over the planet fashions likewise are being flashed across the planet virtually overnight because it, it, when an idea goes viral it catches on so what we need to do is create a a virus if you please an idea virus but by by demonstrating what it means what it's like to be a particular kind of human being and how it is clearly to the benefit of all of us to behave in certain ways so as just as you've just said we have to adopt gandhi's marvelous message to be the change we wish to see but i have tried to quantify that because it's such a huge statement be the change you wish to see be the change you wish to see how specifically i i said to god give me specifics i want a list of things we can do and then now i have my my so called marching orders now i know exactly what i need to do and and this is far more helpful than some aphorism be the change you wish to see so i have this list of 16 changes that we can make in our own behaviors i'll give you just one example one simple example tell the truth about everything to everyone all the time highly evolved beings tell everyone the truth about everything all the time highly evolved beings don't compete with each other for anything in any way highly evolved beings share with each other all that they have highly evolved beings don't believe in something called ownership they believe in stewardship you are the steward of this property even of your children for that matter but you don't own people and you don't own stuff highly evolved beings really behave as if we are all one as if there really is only one of us and that we are making decisions and choices that affect all of us if a member of your inner family came to your house and knocked on the door and said look you know i i had a rough patch here i don't have any money i don't even have enough money to buy dinner tonight i know that we're only second cousins on your mother's side but could you give me a hand you'd be hard pressed to send a member of your own family out into the cold and say i'm sorry we don't have enough food here i know we have six loaves of bread in the in, in the refrigerator one in the upper portion five in the freezer but you know we're not going to give you even a piece of bread please leave the house we wouldn't do that to a member of our own family we would only do it to a stranger and if it was a stranger that we disagreed with person of the wrong color or the wrong sexual orientation or the wrong political notion 
or the wrong philosophy or the wrong religion, if it was one of those others, we certainly, not only would we not give them any food, we would literally shoo them away from our doorstep and they'd be lucky if we don't, God forgive me, shoot them in a mass shooting someplace in a mosque or in a temple because we disagree with them so violently that we can't even stand to have them be alive. What has happened? What have we come to as a species that we've come to this? That's the question that I ask in every lecture that I give these days. What have we come to that we have come to this? What I'm noticing a lot is there's, what I talk about in my book is that that fight to be right. When we fight to be right, we will always feel wrong because we'll be standing in in defense of I'm right, you're wrong. And in their eyes, we're always wrong. So when you talk about this, this us and them, you know, pathology, this division, this separation that we're living with, it's, it's that, but it's also that I feel like it's also an element of separation within ourselves, right? Our separation from our true nature, our separation from God, our separation from, from what, what we are, our true essence. So when we talk about kind of the, the, violence and the anger and the projection outwards in in one point in the book you talked about a question that one of your spiritual teachers asked you that really shifted you from judgment or worry or you know concern about what's going on to more compassion and that's like looking at what what hurt or what pain unresolved pain in you I'm going to reframe it in, in my words but what unresolved pain in you is causing you to harm another to project that pain out onto another. So when you're talking about kind of us and them and, you know, the separation part of probably your list of 16, I did read them. I don't have them memorized, but part part of (laughs) part of that is probably bringing back like, and, and taking a, taking a good radical, honest look at ourselves going, what unresolved pain, what, what hurt, what, trauma what wound do i need to heal in order to look at others in the world differently to in order to come back into that place of love for self and then extend that love for others yes after 9 11 to turn that question around the way it appears in conversations with god i wondered why after 9 11 some world leader a president, a prime minister, as I said before, a religious leader, the chief ulama, the head rabbi, the pope. Why didn't somebody, one person, stand up on national, international television and say to those people who created 9-11 and who are promulgating terrorism all over the world today, why doesn't somebody get up and simply say, excuse me, but what hurts you so much that you feel you have to hurt me in order to heal it? And then the second question behind that is, what part of me am I seeing over there? What what part of me am I seeing over there? And what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? The powerful question in the essential path is that. When I look across the room, whether it's I'm looking at a member of my own family with, with whom I'm having a disagreement, maybe it's starting to become pretty much of a large disagreement. Maybe we're even raising our voices. Or whether I'm looking across the world and seeing behaviors on the other side of the globe uh, that seem to be in opposition to what I'm wanting, needing, and choosing to have. Whatever I'm looking at, if I ask myself that incisive question, wait a minute, 
what part of me am I seeing over there? Just as you said, and what can, what, how can I heal that part of me so that I can then see what I'm seeing over there in a way that does not make them wrong? It doesn't condone it, doesn't approve of it, doesn't say, yes, I agree with it, but allows me to understand how such a thing could happen. And from mutual understanding arises mutual solution to mutually held problems. It's really quite as simple as that. But we have no moral leadership in the world today. Where is the world moral leader? Where is that person? Who is it? Is it the president of the United States? Is it the chief guy in North Korea? Is it the president of France? Is it the Pope? Is it the chief ulama? Is it the head rabbi? Who is standing up in public forums everywhere and saying, hold it, hold it. This can't be what it means to be human. It, this can't be. There's obviously something we don't fully understand here, the understanding of which would change everything. What is that? What is that that we don't fully understand? The understanding of which would change everything. And the answer to that is we are all one. It certainly feels that way to me. Mm -hmm. I agree. But that, that what's good for you is good for me. What does not work for you does not work for me. And that, there are so, that, that differences do not have to disappear, but differences do not have to create divisions. Contrasts do not have to create conflicts. Yes. And variance does not have to create violence. That's the simple formula for us. I want you guys to write that down and take that to your next dinner table conversation, to your next water cooler con conversation where you work, to your next church meeting or synagogue meeting or where you, your next religious gathering. I want you to take those, those statements to them. Listen, differences do not have to create divisions. Contrasts do not have to create conflicts. Variance does not have to create violence. Come on, guys. We can do this. We can send a man to the moon. We can do this, too. But that has to be our next global objective. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about in the book, you talk about who we are and what we are. Can you speak a little bit about that? In, in I, I think that's the key question. I think, I think the key question now facing humanity that we're not really asking ourselves as a group, again, because no one is inviting us to, no one is inspiring us to, that is not enough people with high enough profile. You know, you may have a couple of authors here and there, a couple of teachers here and there. But why isn't the Pope saying this? Why isn't the chief ulama saying this? Why isn't the head rabbi saying this? Why isn't the president of any country, not just our own, saying this? The, the, the question before the house is, who am I? Who are we? We have to decide. We have to make a basic fundamental decision. Who am I? Am I simply a mammal? Am I, am I just a, a, like a bird in the sky? a fish in the sea, another life form, perhaps more complex, perhaps more sophisticated, but in the end, just another form of life on the planet, a mammal that is born, lives and dies, and that's the beginning and the end of it. Is that who I am? Or is in fact it true that I am more than that? Is it possible that I'm actually a spiritual entity, a spiritual entity that has a mind that has a body, but what if I'm not this? What if this is not who I am, and this is not who I am? This is something I have, but not who I am. And the part of me that has this is what is called spirit or soul, an everlasting entity 
that always was, is now, and always will be. If we decide this is who I am, who I really am is a spiritual entity that has a body and has a mind, then I needs must ask a profound question. Why have I come into physical form? What is the purpose of my life in physicality? No one is talking about that. It's not being taught in schools. Parents are not telling their children around the dinner table. It's not being discussed at the office. The chief rabbi, the head ulama, the pope, no one is discussing that particular question. Hello. Yeah. So who are we and why are we here? I've been talking about it. I love that you're talking about it. So there are like a few few people. When you look at the grand kind of like the whole population, there are like maybe one to five percent of the people in the population. That would be five percent would be a high number. It would be, I know I'm stretching it a little bit. That's that's my hope hope for humanity, or I gotta stretch that number a little bit. But when you become involved, you mean, those of you watching this now, when you say, you know what, I'm going to self-select. No one's going to come along, come along and knight me in the field, you know, like Excalibur, like the, the sword Excalibur by the king. I'm not going to be knighted in the field as the next messenger. I self-select. I have chosen to self-select to bring this awareness first to myself in fullness that I can begin to express it through my behaviors. And then by setting that example to be an exemplar, to be a walking version of that message and a walking answer to the question, who am I? Who I am is a spiritual entity that is not separated from divinity. That is in fact a, in fact, that is an expression of divinity. And that is who you are as well. And when I choose to project the, the knowingness of who I am and the awareness of who you are, I begin in my individual form the healing of all those whose lives I touch. I asked God in my conversation with God, what does it take to make life work? I don't understand. What does it take to make somebody give me the rules? I'll play. Just tell me what it takes. And God said, Neil, it's very simple. Remember this always. Your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. When we all choose to live, by that wisdom, the world could literally change overnight. So what part do you choose to play? Do you choose to self-select and then to gather support of others who make the same choice? You can find out more about that by just going to IamSelfSelecting.com. Mm -hmm. It's a little website that I put up to help people put into action what they're hearing here if they feel motivated to do so beautiful i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in continuing to to join with you in conversation but also to receive the tools and like you say like actionable steps like what can i do as an individual and i talk a lot about you know your you the first step is your willingness to say yes to play your part i'm yes i'm willing to play my part whatever that looks like however that looks like it takes a lot of courage for a lot of people to shift from kind of playing small or playing, you know, staying behind the scenes to stepping out and playing their part. And the part doesn't have to be on a global stage or writing a book or anything like that, but it's just, oh. just play. I'm just like, just play your part. Please you know what? play your part. Anthropologists tell us that each of us touch around 76,000 people in a lifetime. I mean, individually. Individually, we will touch 76,000 people in a lifetime. People we pass on the street, people we interact with at the post office, people who are around us and see us every day. 
And if you add, that's, that's not on the internet. If you add, the anthropologists are now telling us that if you add the number of people you can touch through the internet, that number jumps to about a half a million. About a half a million people can be touched by us in a lifetime. Imagine. So yes, it's no longer true that there's nothing I can do. We have the world at our fingertips in a number of ways right here. The world's right here at your fingertips. All we have to do is decide to be an exemplar, to self-select, to say, you know what? I am choosing myself as one of the spiritual leaders of tomorrow. And by the way, spiritual leaders, a leader is not the one who says, follow me. A leader is the one who says, I'll go first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And you're definitely one that's going first. <laughs> giving, a lot it a, of different ways. giving it a try. Yeah. And so am I. And that's all we need to do is just say yes to, to, to try. Yep. I'm willing to try. I'm willing to play my part. And, and then letting the divine work through you. So life by divine is all about allowing that divinity to allowing your humanness to be animated by that divinity. So my words, my actions, my, my behaviors, everything. You had a question in your book that you asked, and you, I think you mentioned it earlier in, in this interview when you said, um, I can't remember the exact words, but what would, would, what would, would God's words is this how I want God's words to be spread through my mouth? Like, is this, I can't remember your exact words. Well, yeah, the, the question that, that has been placed before me is, is uh, what is, what does God want to say to the world yes. today through me? Yes. What does God want to say to the world today through me? Yes. If you, you know, people might say, well, that's spiritually arrogant. Who do you think you are? Which is, of course, the key question in the world. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Just a mammal that's trying to do the best you can, get the guy, get the girl, get the car, get the job, get the house, get the better job, get the spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, get the better spouse, reaching out, trying to, is that who you think you are? Because that's the beginning and the end of your idea about yourself. Our conversation is over. I have nothing more to say to you. But if you believe that there's more to who you are than that, like my father, see, my father asked me the, the quintessential question of all time. My father, my father was not what you'd call a new age person or a person with a new philosophy. But even he, when I was 8, 9, 10, and 12 years old, asked me the most profound question of my life. Who do you think you are anyway? <laughs> and I've been trying to answer the question ever since. But you know, if you, if you answer the question with the highest notion you ever had about yourself, one of the key questions, talk about a book of questions in the essential path, is this. What if anything in your life would change if you thought that your highest idea about yourself, about life, and about God was true? Just, just for the sake of discussion, if you thought your highest idea about God and about life and about you were true, what if anything in your life would change? I've made that decision in my own life, and I invite you to make it in yours as well. This is what I call the essential path. And if you have a chance to read that book, I hope you'll read it and pass it on to five people that you know. The book is called The Essential Path.
Yes. And I highly recommend the book. I, I gobbled it up in a, in a week. I, I consumed it probably mostly in two or three days because I, I waited until the weekend to read it mostly. It's a very short book. It's only, it this, is. It's it's very, a, only this thick. It's a very short book. Yeah. But it has some really great, and I love that it's like the, sh- the chapters are really short, so they come in sound bites. So it's really easy to read and kind of take that piece and integrate it and then go to the next piece if you need to. So I definitely recommend Neil's book, The Essential Path, Conversations with God, obviously the series, any one of them you can pick up. The Awakening, Awakening the Species uh, is one that I, I really enjoy, but any of them can, can kind of spark you. It's, it's really a process for me, the whole, the, all the teaching that I do and everybody I connect with, all the books I read, it's a process for me of unwinding the mind you know, changing our minds, changing our beliefs, unwinding, unlearning, unschooling everything and coming to this place where what if I, what if I really don't know what I think I know? And it creates this opening in the mind, this curiosity and this wonderment, which opens the mind in a way that allows us to try on another perspective. It allows us to try on the, that bigger, highest kind of, what if that is true? What if it's true? My belief, my highest possible belief around who I am in relationship to God. What if that is true? What in my life would change? I love those questions because they're such mind opening and heart opening questions that allows us to really put aside what we think we know and, and our beliefs that are kind of really stuck and holding us back. A lot of our programming to open up to something different because a lot of what we believe is what we've been taught to believe. Not a lot of it, virtually all of it. Very few people move into life based on their own experience. We're we're embracing the truth that others have told us. And that's why we get such animosity between political parties, social levels in, in, in different religions, different nations. You know, I mean, come on, guys. Stop it. Just stop it. Even stop it for a moment and, and ask a different question. Just stop for a moment and ask a different question and open your mind to a different perspective. That's really the, the more of us that can do that, just pause in those moments of trigger or moments of reaction or moments of projection or moments of attack or judgment. If we can just pause in those moments and take what we're projecting outward or what we're judging outward of another person, because if we, like you say, if we can see it in them, it must be in us. And if we could turn it around and go, okay, what is my part in this? What do I believe that's actually feeding this violence or feeding the anger or feeding the resentment or feeding the division and separation? What do I believe or what am I holding to be true? What can I change in my mind? And then what message am I to them? in what way am I to extend that message? In what way am I to be able to speak differently so that people can hear and listen? You know, and even the judgment is not so horrible. The word judgment has gotten such a bad rap these days. Somebody could watch this program and say, Neil's been sounding off his judgments for the past hour. And so it's not a judgment in and of itself, separated from everything else. It's not a bad thing. We, we, we're going to make a judgment. We have to make a judgment about whether I can create, get across the span of this bridge. We make a judgment. Do I have a good, enough good cards to win my, my poker game tonight? We're, we're making judgments all over the place. And the, problem about, the problem is not judgment. It's about what you do with the judgment. Mm-hmm. If you have a judgment about somebody and what you do is negative and cruel and angry and hurtful, 
and damaging to the other. And it, by the way, also damaging to yourself. Yeah. That's where the problem comes in. But if you make a simple judgment, wow, you know, th- th- then decide what can I do that's constructive, helpful, useful, and beneficial, and most important, loving. What can I do that's loving in the face of the judgment that I now experience myself having? So, you know, I, I have judgments about people who are sitting around doing nothing. I have those judgments. But what can I do that's loving? and beneficial what can i offer that can make a noticeable and wonderful and joyful improvement without making someone else feel that they don't even deserve my compassion or my help that's the problem that we need to look at closely stop making other people the demons and making other people so wrong that we're willing to hurt them and even kill them that's what i mean when i say stop it Surely we can stop that behavior as a species. Surely we can stop eating our own young as if we were a tube of fish of guppies who eat their own young. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that question of what can I do? How can I be that example of love? How can I be that example of compassion? What can I do differently? And how can I often talk about meeting the world's fear with love? so that love can expand how can we stand in love and meet all the fear and all the violence and everything that's out there and it begins See, with in the beginning is understanding when we begin to realize that understanding is the key uh, i was told in my dialogue understanding replaces forgiveness in the mind of the master when i can understand how a person could do what they're doing I'm not condoning it, as I said earlier. I'm not agreeing with it. I'm not saying that I want that to continue. But I can at least understand. I can understand how you could do such a thing. You know, there are some things that are being done by the leaders of our world's nations. I don't understand how they could say or do something like that. But if if I can begin to understand, now I have a basis on which I can have dialogue and interaction, and maybe even offer some sort of healing of the hurt and the pain that's causing that other behavior. Yeah. So a level of compassion. Compassion and understanding. I see that our time is virtually up. We are getting up to the point here where we get a complete. So I want to thank you for, for joining me and for sharing your new message and your ongoing message with Conversations with God. The book is The Essential Path for those that want to check it out and and download it or book it or buy it from Amazon, wherever you can. You can also get it from Neil's website. Um, Neil, if people want to connect with you and find you and learn more about what you're doing and, and kind of dive into more of your, um, your teaching and your tools, where can they reach you? I, they can stay connected. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> they can stay connected with the conversations with God material and message at cwgconnect.com. CWG, that's Conversations with God, of course. CWGConnect.com. You'll find me there every day. There's a column there called Ask Neil, uh, in which I interact with people all over the world on a daily basis. So uh, that's the place where we can stay connected if it serves you to do so. Beautiful. So I'm going to encourage everybody to go to Neil's website and check it out. I'll include a link in the show notes as well so that you can find that link to his website and connect with him and his community. And this conversation must continue. So I'm going to encourage you to take what you learned 
take all of those gems, those, those questions that Neil was suggesting and bring them home into your life and integrate these tools, integrate these questions so that you can start to make a difference, not only in your personal life, but also be that impact and example of someone who's living consciously and who's making different choices and who's meeting the ongoing fear and challenges that are happening in our, in our world from a different perspective and from a different place, one of compassion and understanding. So thank you again, Neil, for coming. I appreciate you being here. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. I'll see you again next Tuesday, 9 a.m. live every week. And you can, of course, get this podcast as a replay, get this radio show as a replay as well, and download it and take these questions with you, take this conversation with you into your life. I appreciate you. I see you. I honor you. Until next week, namaste. The Heart-Led Living Intuition Academy with Sue DeMay is a unique, unschooling experience designed to unwind, clear, and align your intuitive channel. And the doors are open for you now. Experience unwavering faith and deep trust in your intuition as you strengthen your connection to source, allowing you to walk through every moment with more peace, confidence, clarity, and certainty. Experience this deep personal transformation with Sue's guidance, including the option to share what you learn as a certified intuitive coach. This is your time to unwind and reprogram your mind, to rebuild your foundation and realign with your intuitive heart. Enrollment is now open. Apply today at heartledliving.com forward slash intuition academy. Again, that's heartledliving.com forward slash intuition academy. You've been listening to Life by Divine with your host, Sue DeMay. Shift your consciousness from head to heart and enliven your soul as you discover how to lead with your heart and live your own life by divine. Join Sue in the growing global heart-led living community at heartledliving.com. That is heartledliving.com.